What is up, Janksters? It's your boy, Graham, also known as HamHawks42 on the internet. And today, I wanna to take a look at a cycle from Phyrexia All Will Be One. Specifically, I wanna look at the Dominus cycle. Now, when I talk about cycles, um, that's something that we do sometimes on this channel, where we look at cards that all have a theme in common, and uh, they're multiple printed that kind of follow the same pattern, but operate in different ways. And it's not uncommon for monocolor cycles, like we're gonna be looking at today to be functionally similar to one another but unique within their color and in the Phyrexian Dominuses I'm assume I assume that's how you pluralize it I could be wrong I don't know English is weird but so the Dominuses are no exception we have five Phyrexian gods and now I I Say Phyrexian Gods because all of Wizards marketing said gods in association to these cards which Okay, I'm not a major Vorthos. I don't fully understand how Phyrexian government structure works, but I always thought the Praetors were in charge and they were seen as like the head of their respective factions and the buck stopped with them. So like, why would the Phyrexians need any gods other than Yawgmoth? I don't fully understand that. Now, that said, the cards themselves are not typed gods. In any event, I digress. So what I wanna look at today are the five Dominuses, break down each of them by their strengths, their weaknesses, what kind of decks want them. And on top of that, we're gonna make it a little bit interesting where I'm actually gonna go ahead and do them as a top five list, just because, I don't know, top five lists are fun, and we like that, and there are five of them. So what the heck, why not? So coming in at number five, we have Zopan, Zopan, Zopandril, 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 Hunger Dominus. This is a legendary Phyrexian horror. Four, six reach for five green, green. So four, six reach for seven. Not amazing stats, I'll be honest. At the beginning of each combat, double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn. So in combat or your post-combat main phase, this is actually an eight, six with reach. So I guess it, it's a little bit better than its stat line would have you believe. But then you can also pay Phyrexian Green, Phyrexian Green, sacrifice two other creatures, put an indestructible counter on Zapondril Hunger Dominus. Now, it's interesting, all of the all of the Dominuses have the, an ability where you can pay some amount of mana, sacrifice some amount of things that are usually relevant, like they're designed in such a way they feel like some kind of relevant cost, and then you get an indestructible counter on the Dominus. Notably, you can do that at instant speed. So if you have Zap and Drill down and your opponent tries to wipe the board, you can just choose to sacrifice two of your other creatures and make Zap and Drill indestructible and all of a sudden your opponent's Supreme Verdict or, you know, Wrath of God if you're in older formats, like whatever they're trying to do. Hello, I suppose Wrath and Supreme Verdict are available in a lot of the same formats, but you know what I'm saying. If your opponent tries to remove, the, remove your board with destroy effects, all of a sudden Zap and Drill is unaffected and at a really low cost because those creatures were gonna die anyway. So, that's a pretty cool effect and a pretty strong ability in this case. And even if you're tapped out, you can pay four life, sacrifice two creatures, and go to town. So, good stuff. Also, for any Golgari mages out there, this is a sacrifice outlet. If you have a creature with a death trigger on it, you can sacrifice it to this to give the indestructible counters, which you know may not be great later on. You probably have more efficient sacrifice outlets, but in a pinch, if you just need to get a Zula Poor Cutthroat trigger to push through for the win, 
this can do it, and that's notable. Um, that's the one thing I've noticed too about these dominances. They all like that that ability usually has more utility than it first seems. It's a way to, you read it and you immediately think, oh, I have to give something up and I get an indestructible counter, which may or may not be valuable depending on the board state. So you know, the truth of the matter is. You can get you can get saucy with those, and we're gonna go, we're gonna go into more detail as we talk about the others. But yeah, so the, the reason this is my number five is because it's big green thing makes big green things big. That's all it is. That's all this card is. We have seen things like this. I mean, right now in standard, unnatural growth has been legal for over a year, and almost nobody plays it. It's just not a popular card, mostly because the rest of the green deck kind of suffers and it's very difficult to cast. But that effect of just all your things get double power and toughness, it's powerful when it fires on certain board states, but it's crazy situational. And in order to get a crazy situational effect, you have to put a seven drop on the battlefield. Granted, it's a seven drop that can block in the air and kill eight toughness flyers. I mean, like that's good, but a seven mana, like seven mana, one of the things about pretty much every format right now, if you can afford to get a seven mana anything down, it should win you the game. Like it just should. And the one situation where I can see reasonably getting this onto the battlefield is in situations where you have access to things like reanimator, but you have better reanimator targets than this. You know, if I'm in a situation where I have to pick between Titan of Industry, Toxril, or Zapendril, it kind of depends on what situation I'm in. Like, if I already have the Titan down, sure, getting a Zapendril down as a second, you know, a secondary reanimation source just to really put the hammer down, fine, I guess. Like, that could really end the game fast, but, I mean, I'm talking a one-of in that deck, maybe. You know, I don't know. I don't like this card. I think it's just weak. It's it's too expensive. Um, it's it's funny. Like I'm talking about an eight, uh, effectively an eight twelve. Sorry, do doubles toughness too. It's effectively an eight twelve reacher for seven, and I'm saying it's not enough. That's kind of bananas. Because <laughs> uh, that thing's huge. It's absolutely huge. I don't know, man. Like I, this one. I'm not sold on it just because of the mana, mana cost. Honestly, the, if this thing was, I don't know, a 3-4 or, you know, like a 3-4 for 5, all of a sudden I like it so much more. It's not even funny. You know, I don't know. Just It just needs to be less expensive. Like 7 is just too much. Anyway, so with that, coming in at number 4, we have Teguthal. Inquiry Dominus. This one I think is very interesting. Now, as a weird combo player, I wanted to put this higher on the list, but I just can't in good conscience compared, given what it's going up against. So Tekuthel Inquiry Dominus is a 3-5 flyer for four. Now we're in castable territory. This is reasonable. So it's got flying. If you would proliferate, proliferate twice instead. So that is hyper narrow, but if you are proliferating and you have the ability to put, you know, and if you have counters, whether those are plus one, plus one counters, oil counters, loyalty counters, poison counters, whatever you've got going on, proliferation is a big freaking deal. So being able to take advantage of this is huge. And honestly, I think Atraxa EDH players everywhere are going to want to get their hands on this because it just supercharges your commander just by existing. That's awesome. Anyway. The other ability, you can pay one Phyrexian Blue, Phyrexian Blue, remove three counters from among other artifacts, creatures, and planeswalkers you control, 
put an indestructible counter on Tekuthal, Inquiry Dominus. So three counters is asking a lot. However, you'll notice it doesn't specify what kind of counter. So if you're in a situation where you have a card that has negative counters on it, you know, that has counters that are doing that, that are detrimental. If you have negative one, negative one counters, for example, if you have um, counters that are resulting in, um, you know, if counters add up to a certain amount and bad things happen, you can do away with those. If you have like goofy combos where like one of the things you can do here, unfortunately you can't just target lands, which is really unfortunate. Um, because one of the things I really want to do with this is, uh, I would love to be able to remove the charge counter from blast zone so it can blow up tokens. That's something that I think would be truly fantastic, but alas, this is designed so that you can't easily do that. You would have to animate the, the land somehow into a creature or an artifact to be able to use this ability on it. But even that's not the end of the world. That's not super hard to do. Things like liquid metal coating or, um, you know, actually something as simple as the new uh, Tatiova could animate it into a creature and let you go to town. So those kind of weird, goofy shenanigans, not off the table. The other thing, the um, Arcfiend of the Dross is a card that people have been kind of kicking around some cool ideas about um, donating it to the opponent when it's empty so that they lose, which is kind of a fun idea, right? Uh, because it's the one that says it, it starts about, it, it comes into play with four oil counters. On your upkeep, you remove an oil counter. And then if there are none on it, you lose the game. So the whole idea is you basically get three turns with this thing and then it's just gone and you just lose. So you need to win the win the game. And so you can pull the oil counters off of it with something like a Tekuthal and then donate it with a fateful handoff. Give it to your opponent, pass the turn. They start their turn, they have to remove an oil counter. They can't, they die. Fun idea, goofy combo, very difficult to pull off. I did attempt this in the early access, it did not work once. I got completely pantsed by poison, aggro, mid-range, you name it, it never worked. And the other thing about that is, Arcfiend of the Dross is also a 6-6 flying massacre worm for four. If you wanna win games with that card, just turn it sideways. <laughs> so, now the one, the other instance where I tried using Tekuthal in the early access where it did work was in an Is It Planeswalker deck that was running a lot of proliferate effects and the enchantment all will be one. In that situation, you proliferate once, you put counters on all your stuff, you turn that into just this machine gun that can just deal with your opponent's creatures or blast them in the face, then you proliferate again because Tekathel's ability, do it all over again and it all turns into direct damage that you can target at whatever you want. That kind of setup becomes a very strong and very powerful in is it or potentially just got control shells that are leveraging planeswalkers for value? I think that situation, Tegwithal is bonkers good. And if you're in a control situation, this is also a three-five flyer for four. It's a good blocker in the in the you know early game against aggro. You can also give it indestructible so it can survive your board wipes. And it can just dome the opponent for three damage when you just need to get it get in and try to close the game out. So I think in general, the card's actually really solid and it has some goofy combo potential, but it's not super sexy and you really have to be using proliferate. Like, and that's that's a weird keyword that's not on a ton of cards all over. You know, it's not just, it's not just paying you off for having, you know, tramplers or having creatures. Like the green one pays you off for having big creatures. Tekuthel pays you off for proliferating. One is much more narrow than the other. It's just name of the game, 
part of the deal. But I like the card. I think it's very, very interesting, and I think it has a lot of implications, and uh, we might we might see it in some uh, some decks, maybe as a two of. I, I think it's cool. All right, next up, we have another one that is one of my personal favorites. At number three, we have Drivnod, Carnage Dominance. I gotta say, of, of, the, of all of the, if I was just ba basing my list on my personal favorites, Teguthal and Drivnod would be at the top, 100%, no question. But to be honest, the other two are just so bananas, crazy powerful, in, I couldn't put the I couldn't put Drivnod above it or or Tegithal for that matter. So Drivnod is an eight three for three black black. If a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So this is a death harmonicon. If something is going to die, you just get it. You get the triggers twice. If you're doing Blood Artist shenanigans, if you're doing Zulaport Cutthroat shenanigans, my personal favorite, Poison Tip Archer shenanigans, they're all the same. They just ping your opponent every time something dies. Stuff's dying all the time. Get nasty, get after it. On top of that, if you're in like a cat oven situation, you sack the cat, The you know, you get any kind of pings, like your Mayhem Devils also, although that's a sacrifice, never mind. The Mayhem Devil does not trigger twice. Keep that in mind. It's triggering off the sacrifice, not the death. Different. But there's a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff that can trigger off of this. Creatures dying cause a lot of things to happen. Now, be aware also, though, of cards that say that the ability only triggers once. That is very meaningful. Something like Morbid Opportunist will not magically trigger twice just because Drivnot says it would. It, like, Morbid Opportunist's ability says, draw a card, this ability triggers only once. So, Anything that would cause it to trigger an additional time just does not work whether that's another creature dying or something like this So be aware of that. That's important All the same though death triggers are Not as common as something like an enter the battlefield trigger, but they are out there and they are strong also keep in mind in past sets um, creatures would say if this creature goes to the graveyard from play if you're looking at like a really old card and you see that text that was replaced with dies so in the future when th you know things say dies that's that means they go to the graveyard first so keep that in mind but yeah Drivnod is one of those cards that is going to become an incredibly powerful card in EDH this card is a banger like just put it in your deck if you're doing any kind of aristocratic anything you probably want it and I wouldn't be surprised if we do see this make its way into maybe even like explore Racto Sacrifice kinds of lists. Because yes, it doesn't re-trigger the Mayhem Devil. The cat entering only triggers once. You could end up with more food tokens than you know what to deal with though, which is pretty rad. Or no, wait, that is that's not a death trigger either. Ooh, the more that I think about it, the sacrifice list actually may not be may not be the home for this. Um And that's okay. There are other death trigger situations that can take advantage of this. Um yeah, things like Cruel Celebrant, Zulaport Cutthroat, that's really where the rubber meets the road and stuff's really going to get nasty with this. It has the potential to be incredibly powerful and just really ramp up the, the speed of the game. The flip side, too, is it is an 8-3 and you can give it an indestructible counter by playing paying Phyrexian Black, Phyrexian Black, exile three creature cards from your graveyard. And that puts an indestructible counter on it. Now, generally... Exiling cards from your own graveyard is a very big cost in black. Honestly, like it doesn't sound like it would be because in a lot of situations you're like, well, the, the thing already died. Who cares? But black recurs stuff out of its graveyard. It reanimates things. And I know 
like for me, I run reanimator decks and I run aristocrat decks, but a lot of the time there's crossover. You know, it's not uncommon to have a couple of good reanimator threats in those aristocrat decks or reanimation style effects that can recur your really banger three and four drops that are helping your, your whole deck pop. Like being able to reanimate those is a really smart, you know, way to get additional value that is valuable. So exiling them from your graveyard is actually a really significant cost. Honestly, I think that's a bigger cost than if they were to say like lose six life or something like that, which is a huge swing for the record. But honestly, exiling from the graveyard really hurts. It really hurts if you're rocking, you know, black graveyard shenanigans, which aristocrat death style decks often do. So be aware of that. That said, if you build your deck correctly, or if you build your deck with this in mind, you'll have some fodder in there to worry, you know, to take advantage of. Like in, for example, if this is in a Golgari situation where you're milling a lot of cards into your graveyard in addition to like doing some sacrifice action, then all of a sudden what you can do, you'll probably have a couple mana dorks or a couple of your little mill dorks, your Death Bonnet Sprouts or your Blanchwood Prowlers, that kind of thing, just sitting in your graveyard. Yeah, Drivnot can absolutely chew, the, chew those up and you're really not too worried about it. You know, I have a feeling this guy feasts on Center Wayfinders and absolutely adores it. And uh, yeah, and as a result, you get an indestructible 8-3. I mean, three toughness is super low, like it dies to lightning bolt. If you can't get this in, you know, if you can't get this online in time, but if you can get that indestructible counter on it, you have an eight power five drop. I mean, we're looking like, I don't know, it's funny. People were comparing this to Yargle, and I think that's fair. Like, it's just so top heavy. It's insane. It's the front end on this thing is gnarly. And it, I mean, indestructible eight power flying at your opponent each turn they have to answer it they have to do something exile removal is very common right now bounce hurts this really bad so there are ways to to respond to that but your opponent has to it pushes the it puts them in a very real uh it puts real pressure on them while also supporting your engines so i like it all right now coming in at number two we we're really getting down to the ones that are really insane that you're going to see a lot of so strap in these two are going to be all over the place in probably any format you're playing if you're playing in commander if you're playing in standard like legacy and vintage maybe not but even then i'm not like vintage probably not like I'm, i feel confident about that but like in legacy i don't know like i don't know legacy very well and these are so powerful and so efficient i'm not writing them off yet like probably okay probably not legacy but you never know anyway I'm talking them up way too much. Number two, Mondrak Glory Dominus. So obviously by process of elimination, you now have figured out what number one is. We'll get there. And yes, I do think it's that awesome. But out of the Dominus in hand, Mondrak Glory Dominus, four, 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 two, white, white. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many of those tokens are created instead. And you can pay one for Axiom White, for Axiom Right, sacrifice two artifacts and or creatures, put an indestructible counter on Mondrak Glory Dominus. So two artifacts or creatures, that is not a tall order at all. So the indestructible counter is kind of a given on this one. I think it's gonna be super easy. And again, we have a, we have a sacrifice outlet. If you have an Ikor Wellspring, a Chromatic Star just sitting around that are doing nothing, you can sacrifice them to this, get the indestructible counter, draw your cards, get your benefit from sacrificing the things. And on top of that, this wants to be pumping out tokens. It does. It wants to be creating tokens. So as a result, you're probably going to be going wide with some kind of token. 
And a lot of those tokens happen to be either artifacts or creatures. You know, uh, I actually was able to play a deck with this and Skrelv's Hive, which is a bitter blossom in white kind of effect where you create the one one colorless might tokens with toxic one. That card is very strong. It just gives you a body on board that you can do something with. Now it can't block, but you can sacrifice it for value. And if it gets in, it poisons your opponent. That's a big deal. With Mondrak down, every turn, you just get two. Like it's really that simple. You also combine this with effects like Rabble Rousing or Myrel, where you attack and you create a bunch of tokens based on certain strategy or based on certain parameters. I mean, that takes those effects that from being very, very strong to being absolutely insane. Like they, they go from a real problem that is putting significant pressure on your opponent to you either have a board wipe or you are dead next turn kind of effects. It is shockingly powerful. This, that ability doubling tokens is massive. Like, and honestly, this is one of those cards that I think it was pre-selling at like 40 bucks and 90% of the time with a pre-sale card, like 90% of the time, don't buy singles on pre-sale. Just don't do it. They're, they're almost never worth it. They almost always drop significantly. Almost. This is one of those though. Like we've seen cards like Parallel Lives and Anointed Procession and Doubling Season that have similar effects in white and green respectively. We've seen those cards consistently maintain massive, massive price tags and hold them despite reprints. You know, they might have a like momentary dip, but then they just go right back up. The demand is evergreen for this style of effect. And as a result, I think this card is like, this card's the real deal. It is going to be eternally viable in Commander, if nothing else. And I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. The other thing I want to point out, this says tokens. It does not say token creatures. It does not say token artifacts. It just says tokens. So if you have this down and you would drop a Blood Tithe Harvester, you get two blood tokens. Sweet. If you play a big score, you spent four mana. It normally creates two treasure tokens. Instead, it creates four. So you just get big score for free, basically, if it resolves. Like, that's kind of amazing. Um, additionally, this works really, really well with cards like Retadrabic, where you're getting legendary creature token copies like you just make a bunch more like things get wild when you get when you have this effect on the field and again it's a free sack outlet so like with retadrabic specifically this is incredible because you can sacrifice a legendary creature you can sacrifice two legendary creatures to satisfy this and then retadrabic just poops out two of each of those legendary creatures and if they have strong ETB effects, like Ellis Ilcor is like bonkers with this kind of thing. I, I think this card's incredible. Straight up. I just absolutely incredible. For for four mana, this thing's wild. And in a lot of situations, depending on the matchup, if you think your opponent has removal, you just wait till turn five. You just wait till turn five, and then you give it indestructible. Like GG's opponent, what are you gonna do? Like this you you you're committing to having a lot of effects on the board. But we're in a standard where white can do that. Like white makes a lot of tokens and can commit to the board and protect their stuff. So I think this card rips. Absolutely plain and simple. The card rips. Yeah. Now, like I was saying with the other ones, the indestructible counter, it's not that hard to play around. You can bounce it. You can exile it. There's a lot of stuff like farewell still eats this thing. Lay down arms can deal with it. Wandering emperor. If it attacks all that jazz, like those are all real and you got to play around them. You know, indestructible is not the be all end all that it once was. I well, 
I mean, there's always there are always ways to play around it, but I feel like it's easier now than ever. So be aware of that. Be careful about that. But at the end of the day, when I'm looking at a creature and you can say, oh, this dies to removal or this can be removed very easily. My immediate follow up is, yeah, but does your opponent have to? If your opponent has to remove it, it's probably a good creature. All right. And lastly, number one, top Dominus coming in hot. Number one with a bullet, Sulfheme Mayhem Dominus. This card, this card is bonkers. 5-4 for 2 red red. If a sorcerer control would deal non-combat damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, it deals double that damage to that player or permanent instead. And you can pay one for Xian Red for Xian Red, discard two cards, put an indestructible counter on Sulfim Mayhem Dominus. Now, of all the indestructible triggers, this one is possibly the most devastating. Uh, discarding two cards is huge. Absolutely huge. No way around it. It just is like, so this card is often not going to be indestructible. You have to kind of accept that it's going to be a five, four. However, it is a five, four for four and it doubles all of your non-combat damage. Now, the fact that it doesn't double combat damage is a little bit of a bummer because that would be incredible. Also, I can't help but notice they made it a four drop. Honestly, this card, believe it or not, there is a case to be made that this exact card as printed would be stronger as a five drop and that sounds insane but if it's a five drop it can fit into a deck that has obosh as the companion the moment you add obosh the prey piercer and self him in the same deck all of a sudden you are doubling your doubling on all of your attacks your well in this case your burns like the sheer amount of damage something as simple as a strangle or a lightning strike can do well, actually not a lightning strike yeah, but play with fire for example the sheer amount of damage that would be able to do if those two could combine forces it's unreal and i understand why wizards didn't let that through um so instead Sulfheme is a four drop which still makes it freaking awesome because in burn decks you generally don't want very expensive creatures you, you don't. You're running things like Monastery Swift Spear, maybe Thermo Alchemist. <coughs> like, so you have a lot of strong cards, but they're cheap. You want ones and twos primarily because you want to be able to chain off multiple things, get a bunch of triggers on something like a Thermo Alchemist or Prowess on your monks, and that that alters into damage. Like, really, what, what red decks are trying to do is looking at their mana and trying to see how can I turn each one red mana that I generate into two or three damage on my opponent. Like that's ultimately what their, what, what their goal is because you know, when you do the conversion, it's like, well, if I'm able to on average per one mana, I spend deal three damage to my opponent. I don't have to spend much mana and they're just dead. So that's pretty great. Sulfheme makes that very, very easy because all of a sudden your lightning strikes that were dealing three damage are now dealing six. I mean, and those can go face and they only cost two. I mean, it takes burn to a whole other level. And on top of that, it makes things like Thermo Alchemist that just tap and deal one damage per spell you're casting effectively and you get one a turn for free even if you do nothing. Um, those effects now are shocking your opponent in the face. I mean, there's two damage every, on top of everything else that's going on. Heaven forbid you actually flip something like 
the uh, the smoldering egg with this if you have an ash mouth dragon down every time you cast a spell you get to do four damage to any target get out of here like and i know this is all like somewhat magical christmas land because you're, it's dependent on a four drop hitting and sticking but the truth is even without sulfim or sulfim or however you pronounce this those red decks are applying a ton of early pressure super duper fast. That's what they do. It's just it's just what the deck does. And so you don't need this card to win the game, but if you get it, you you're like all of a sudden anything you get off the top of your deck is just it just supercharges everything you're doing so dramatically. You know, all of a sudden if they're sitting there with a 3-3 blocker and they think, "Okay, I can survive like if I get one more turn." Even something as simple as a play with fire off the top, that 3-3 is gone. It's obliterated. There's nothing they can do. Like, I don't know. I think this card is fantastic. Supercharging burn is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. But like I said, the discarding two cards to make the indestructible counter, that hurts. In the kind of super aggressive burn deck this wants to exist in, those, you know, you're not going to be doing that very often. Um, you, you, it's just, it's really tough to justify doing that. That is what it is. Um, now, though, I'm realizing that I need, I need, in my life, I desperately need to make a Boros burn deck, possibly an explorer with Fire Song and Sunspeaker just for kicks, that leverages Mondrak and Solfim. No, let's go Mardu. Mardu. Mondrak, Solfim, and Retadrabic and make as many Solfim copies as I possibly can, and then hit my opponent with one play with fire for like a thousand damage. And that's that's something that I need to do in the not too distant future. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it very, very much. Oh, or we could go, is it with um, Vesuvian Duplomancy? When you can copy things and they're, they don't, they're not legendary anymore, these kind of doubling effects that all of these Dominuses have get truly absurd. Like, honestly, any one of them, if you are in a deck that can leverage the static ability on these cards, if you can get some, a duplicate copy, whether that's through a Spark Double, Vesuvian Duplomancy, Retadrabic, I mean, there are probably a ton more ways that I'm just not thinking of that can produce, you know, clones of legendary creatures. If you can do that, uh, Echoing Equation is another one from Strixhaven, now that I'm thinking about it. That could be disgusting, and I like it. Um... In any event, if you can find ways to take advantage of that, because the moment you start doubling, doubling effects, it, it grows exponentially and it gets out of hand. You know, if you have one of these down, your play with fire deals four damage. Sweet. The moment you have two down, your play with your one play with fire is dealing eight damage. Like that gets out of hand. That gets out of hand real, real fast. And I want to see it. So. In any event, Solfim Mayhem Dominus is your Dominus champion in this little, like, top five, uh, which I barely adhere to as far as the format is concerned. But it's all good. We talked about all five of the Dominuses. I think these I think these cards are really good. I, just, I like them, and I hope you like them too. So thank you so much for checking out the video uh, or the podcast if you're listening to this in audio form. I appreciate you. I hope you're having a truly amazing day. Uh, you know, if you're watching on the YouTubes, please like and subscribe. It makes a huge difference. And with that, I will catch you on the next one.